Well, last week we discovered that if we will cleanse ourselves of wickedness, accepting Christ's offer to cleanse us through the gift of his grace, of course, that we can be made into golden vessels set apart for the service of the Lord. That we who are by nature vessels of clay can be made into honorable vessels that are useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now the imagery of being changed from clay into gold is very appealing. Being sanctified, made holy, and set apart for service to Christ is a goal that we can all embrace and for which we gladly strive. However, embedded in the midst of that image is a word that we must not overlook. It's the word master. If Christ is our master, what we generally refer to as Lord, as Lord Jesus Christ, the corresponding implication is that we are his servants. And in our text for today, we find Paul speaking quite candidly about the role of the Lord's bondservants. You know, we seldom speak of masters and bondservants in our society today, but I think we all know what they are. A master is someone over us, someone we obey. And a bondservant is someone who is obligated to obey a master. Now, there are two fundamentally different types of bondservants. There are voluntary and there are involuntary bondservants. Throughout time, some have become bondservants involuntarily through conquest or financial obligation or as a form of punishment for crimes committed. Others have become bondservants voluntarily because of personal devotion to someone or out of a sense of gratitude for what someone has done. Well, obviously, we become the Lord's bondservants by choice. We choose to serve him out of a sense of gratitude for what he has done and devotion to him because we love him. But just claiming to be a bondservant of the Lord doesn't make us one. If we would be the Lord's bondservant, there are things we must do and things we must not do. Or as Paul puts it, things we must flee, things we must pursue, things we must refuse, things we must be, and things we must trust. He begins by saying there is something or some things from which the Lord's bondservant must flee. We're continuing our study in 2 Timothy chapter 2, just the first part of verse 22. Now flee from youthful lusts. You know, the importance of fleeing from youthful lusts was certainly brought into focus during the confirmation hearings for Judge Kavanaugh. 
And while God can indeed forgive the sins of our youth because of his compassion and loving kindness, as noted by David in our morning psalm just a couple weeks ago, the sins of our youth, or even unsubstantiated accusations of youthful sins, can come back to haunt us later in life. Now, when we hear the words youthful lust, we generally think of sexual immorality. And it is imperative that the Lord's bondservants, be they young or old, flee from sexual immorality. Paul made that very clear in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God in your body. You know, if our body has become a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work, if our body has become a temple of God's Holy Spirit because we asked him to cleanse us at the price of his son's life and then invited him to indwell us, we must certainly not defile it through sexual immorality. Paul makes that very clear. But even before admonishing us to flee immorality because of what it does to our body, Paul said something even more shocking. He told us what sexual immorality does to the body of Christ. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a harlot is one body with her? For he says the two will become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now, if Paul were writing that today, he might put it this way. Don't you know that if you sexually hook up with someone outside of the sanctity of marriage, you defile the body of Christ? Indeed, the Lord's bondservant must flee from youthful lusts, and sexual immorality is one of them. But it's not the only one. In fact, the word translated lust actually refers to strong desires of any kind. Sometimes those desires are good, like Paul's desire to be with Christ and Christ's desire to eat the Passover with his disciples. But most of the time it is used of evil desires or the natural tendencies of sinful men. When Paul speaks of youthful lusts, he's probably thinking of all the temptations that come to a young person moving into adulthood or an adult regressing back to his youth. 
And I'm sure we could come up with quite a list of youthful desires, youthful lusts, youthful temptations, but Paul apparently felt no need to delineate them, so neither will I. He does, however, contrast youthful lusts from which the Lord's bondservant must flee with the things he must pursue. And that gives a pretty good idea of the kinds of things he had in mind. Continuing, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. The Lord's bondservant is to make the pursuit of righteousness, faith, love, and peace the primary objectives of life. And that obviously means he must flee everything that might hinder that objective. Pursue righteousness. Do the right thing all the time. If you've been made righteous by the blood of Christ, live a righteous life. Pursue faith. If you've expressed your faith in Christ, continue living a life characterized by faith in him and faith in the truth of his will for you as revealed in his word. Pursue love. Now, he's not suggesting that the Lord's bondservant is still looking for love. If you're in Christ, you've already found it. So embrace it and share it. Pursue peace. That doesn't mean you must avoid conflict at any price. Even Jesus couldn't do that. But it does mean, as Paul said in Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Those are the things that must characterize the Lord's bondservant. And the best place to develop those characteristics is in fellowship with others who share them, with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Every bondservant of Christ must be in fellowship with other bondservants who listen when he speaks, who strive to obey him, and who live lives that honor him. Indeed, we honor him by what we flee and what we pursue. But that's not the end of it. For Paul goes on to add something that the Lord's bondservant must refuse. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels, and the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. Now, there's obviously a difference between a healthy exchange of ideas and quarreling. And the Lord's bondservant must be willing to not only do what the master asks, but say what the master says. As we've been learning on Sunday night, there are fundamental differences between a secular worldview and a biblical worldview. 
And those who embrace a secular worldview and have therefore placed anything that is not physically observable into a category of personal opinion that cannot be verified to be true are not going to accept what we know to be true. You know, God has revealed to us things that are in the realm of morals and values, things that cannot be scientifically observed but are nonetheless true. And they're true for all because they come from the creator of all. But not all of God's creatures observe his laws and commands. In fact, none do so perfectly. Still, those who recognize his right to be Lord and master do acknowledge that he has determined what is and what is not moral. And we're not only obligated to abstain from that which he has declared to be immoral, we are to bring light to the world, exposing as evil those things that God has declared to be evil. Now that does not mean that we're going to be able to convince everyone of the truth that God has revealed in his word. People refuse to accept God's word for a variety of reasons, and most of them are not intellectual in nature. Quite often, they're spiritual. Many are simply not ready or willing to acknowledge God's claim on their life. To do so would require changes that they're not ready or willing to make. And others just like to argue. As Paul pointed out in 1 Timothy 6, 4 through 5, Some people have a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. But neither can he be quiet in the face of error. If he is to represent his Lord, he must speak. But he must be kind He must be gentle. He must be patient when confronting error. Again, Paul puts it this way. But be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. The Lord's bondservant must be kind to all, even to those with whom he disagrees. And since our worldview, our view of the meaning of life and the purpose behind all that God has created differs drastically from those who deny, if not his existence, at least his written revelation, there are going to be fundamental differences of opinion. So how do you disagree with someone? You do so kindly, gently, respectfully. And if you're going to disagree with someone, you better be able to articulate why you disagree with them, especially if it's not just an inconsequential difference of opinion. Again, our Sunday night study is giving us an understanding of how we've come to the place in our society 
were things that are obviously contrary to reason and nature itself are rejected by so many. And we're going to learn how to present the truth of God's word in a very positive manner, showing how it answers the questions about life and purpose that are unanswerable in a secular worldview. Now, obviously, we must know God's word if we're going to be able to show how it answers the fundamental questions of life. And we're going to have to know it well enough to be able to teach it to others. That requires diligent study of the Bible, fueled by a hunger and thirst to know righteousness, to know the mind and will of God, and a commitment to personally live out what we discover in God's Word. Because most people, quite frankly, would rather see a sermon than hear one. We must never forget, however, that while the truth as revealed in God's word has the potential to set men free, the one who was the truth personified was rejected and hung on a cross by unbelieving men. So we must be patient with those who won't believe, even those who ridicule us for believing, and they will. If you're the Lord's bondservant, you better expect to be wronged as he was wronged. You are going to face opposition, but you are to be gentle with those who oppose you. You must stand your ground, but you are to do so with meekness. You are to do so with your passionate convictions kept under control. And you can do so if you'll trust God to do his part. Indeed, the Lord's bondservant must trust. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. It's our responsibility to cleanse ourselves and become Christ-like in character through the means provided by Christ, of course. It's our responsibility to avoid quarrels and disputes that create more heat than light. And we're obligated to be kind, patient, and gentle with teaching others. But it's not our responsibility to get results. You know, the world looks at the bottom line and judges success by results it can quantify. It's not that way in the spiritual realm. Paul said he planted and Apollo watered, but it was God who gave the increase. And Jesus made it clear that it's the Spirit that brings conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The same thing is affirmed in our text for today. 
which we are now going to read in its entirety. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels, and the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. It's our job to present the truth honestly and with integrity and to do it patiently and gently. Now, the truth itself is confrontational, so we don't have to be. And the truth will be hard for most to accept Because it will challenge their worldview. And it will demand change in their thinking and behavior. But it's not our job to get people to accept it. That is God's job. It's our job to live the truth. It's our job to defend the truth. And it's our job to faithfully and carefully share the truth. And we do so knowing the truth has the power to change and confident God will use it to bring forth the fruit he desires. He will use the truth we share. Truth revealed in Jesus Christ to set people free from the devil's snare held captive to him to do his will. And while we are not responsible for the results, nor do we bring them about, just being a part of the process gives eternal significance to our life. What more could anyone want to do with his or her life? Indeed, there's no greater joy than being the Lord's bondservant. But being a good bondservant demands full surrender to the master's will. It's my prayer today that every one of us will live lives surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ and that we would all choose to be the Lord's Bond servants. Let's stand.